Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of All Things Marketing and Education. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Serena Robinette, an educational specialist at Soundtrap. I'm glad I got that last name right. We were talking about that earlier. (laughs) So she is an educational specialist at Soundtrap, and she works with districts, schools, teachers across the country, which I think is probably the best job ever, and supports them about using Soundtrap in their classrooms. But also as a previous educator, she knows lots of things and is passionate about lots of things, including social and emotional learning. And that's what we're going to talk about mostly in this episode today. But before we get to that, I want to tell you a little bit about Serena herself. I don't know Serena very well. Every time I get to talk and collaborate with her, though, I leave smiling. You are a burst of joy. You are a happy person. You are so knowledgeable. And you know those people you just meet and you know they're so passionate about about making a difference in education. And you are one of those people. So I am just glad I have this time to connect with you. Um, I asked Meredith, who's the head of engagement over at Soundtrap, I say, you know, did Serena, does she ever get mad? You're, you're <laughs> such a happy person. And I think she said something like, oh, no, once if you say if there's maybe equity or access or uh, something. Growth mindset. That's, <laughs> that's my uh, occasionally if that gets t- uh, thrown around without like thinking critically about it, then I'll like the claws will come out. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, no, there are moments. <laughs> Um, but beyond that, um, a little bit of background about Serena, I'll have her go into her background as an educator and what brought her to this path. Cause I think it's super interesting for you educators that are thinking about potentially moving into the ed tech world, but also from the ed tech perspective of just what are the types of people you might hire and collaborate with in your careers, um, in the ed tech world. I think that's it, Serena. What I'd like to do is just welcome you. I'm so happy to spend this time with you talking about one of my favorite concepts, the social and emotional learning, and I'll tell you guys all why in the episode. Um, But welcome, Serena, and I'd love it if you could just introduce yourself and a little bit about Soundtrap as well. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, So I was a former music teacher. Um, I taught middle school instrumental music, so that's everything from band, orchestra, to digital music. And then I moved over to technology and I taught my students digital literacy and how to code, things like that. Um, And then about a year ago, I moved into Soundtrap. And I am, and it's great because I use Soundtrap when I taught music, I used it when I taught tech. Um, And so when the job posting came up, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Um, And for those who don't know, Soundtrap is a digital audio workstation. So it's an online recording studio where students can make music, they can make podcasts, they can do oral um, storytelling. And so pretty much anything that students want to create, they can create using Soundtrap. Yeah. And 
I love technology like that because it really speaks to all the things we think about for a 21st century education, even though I think that term is slightly a bit archaic, but we talk <laughs> about like, how do we integrate technology effectively? How do we integrate subjects effectively? Like what can you do when you actually have to create a podcast about maybe a historical moment? And you know all of the different reasons of how to integrate. And then also we're going to be talking about something that people might not connect to technology is social emotional learning. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I usually used to tell my students, right, like they're so used to consuming, right, watching YouTube videos, watching TikToks, that we want to move them into creation, where they're actually being the creators. Yeah. And I think that is still a myth that we all have is, especially in social media and all in tech are like, oh, they know how to do this. Oh, they know how to do that. Yes, exactly. um, and from the social media side, I, I bring in interns and everyone's like, oh, they already know how they should be teaching you. And it's, they know how to consume and they yep. might know how to personally do some stuff, you know, but they really don't know how to do it in a way that integrates critical thinking, potentially a higher level of creatorship. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I know, um, you know, people, I taught tech and so everyone's like, yeah, they're so good, right? And I'm like, no, I'm literally teaching them how to type sometimes because they didn't learn that they're used to their phones, like typing with their thumbs. Um, oh so yeah, God. it is very much like a beginner starting. Um, they, they didn't teach, uh, they didn't take typing class. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they kind of went away once we started having, you know, phones. <laughs> thumbs, for sure. So before we get into that, I just would like to take our audience on the journey of you a little bit, because I think it's super fascinating. All the educators that are being, that are passionate, but slash bold enough to take that leap over into the world of ed tech, because it's very different from the school system. So, so maybe can you start with just like, what drew you to education to begin with? And then maybe your journey of trickling out and getting your toe in the water in the world of ed tech. Yeah. Um, so I, in high school, I had a band teacher that was good, but had some faults. And I remember being like, I can do better, <laughs> which, you know, is a way to do it. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a music teacher. I'm going to be that music teacher that actually inspires, that actually helps um, in the way that that teacher did it, but even better. Um, again, incorporating maybe technology and things like that. And like that modern, less Western classical, more modern um, side of it. And so I went to, you know, school for music and then music education specifically, um, and then taught for a while and then started realizing, right, like kids need that technology skills. And so I kind of hopped over. Um, and then, you know, I was going through the pandemic and it was challenging for sure. I actually enjoyed a lot of it because it was the one chance I got to like really connect with my students. It's just us in those little boxes. Um, and so I actually got really close with them and got to know them better on like a deeper level than we would with, you know, class and bells, schedules and things like that. Um, but then this role came up, I literally got an email and it was like, Hey, I saw you on LinkedIn and there's a job opening for Soundtrap. And I was like, Oh, I know Soundtrap. Oh, okay. Maybe we'll see, you know, worst case scenario. I just do the interview and that's it. Um, or worst case, it's spam. Who cares? <laughs> um, so then I did the interview and they were like, would you like the job? And I really had to think hard about it because it was in the middle of the school year during the pandemic. And that's like, you know, cardinal sin, don't leave your kids in the middle of the year. Um, but I just felt like I had to do this. I had to see what it was like. Um, 
see if it could help. And I feel like I'm glad I did it. I taught about 150 students to about 200. Now I help and support teachers who teach hundreds of thousands of students. So I do think I have a bigger impact in a different way. Um, and it still gives me the same kind of um, connection but to teachers and seeing how they're using it, right? I did it my way, but now other people can do it their way. Yeah. And that is the theme when I have guests on this show, we talk about just your footprint and, and your why, but the depth of impact and how you play a unique role in impact, especially with education. We have that why very strong with us. And some people say, you know, I want to go back into the classroom and I want to have that deep but small impact. And I, I'm sometimes on the side of you of, gosh, you know, if we do this right, I can impact hundreds of thousands, if not millions of children across the world. And so that's huge too, but it's a little bit slightly more indirect. So you yeah. miss the, um, the aha moments with the kids. Yeah. And I have the aha moments with the teachers too, yeah. which is fun. Oh. The other day we did, um, it was an introduction to Soundtrap music making. Um, and I asked teachers, I found this on Twitter. Um, you bite into a cookie and there's raisins in it. How do you feel? And I was like, make a song about that. And again, something I would totally do with my students, but I did it with grown adults and it was hilarious. And to see some of their like songs and how different they were. Some people were pro raisins, some were anti raisins. But it is cool. You know, I do miss those moments with kids, right? I would have loved to have seen what a 12-year-old does with that prompt. <laughs> that is an amazing prompt. Are, are you pro-raisin or anti-raisin? Anti, anti-raisin. What? It's all about the chocolate chip cookie. Oh, my none. gosh. I am <laughs> all about the raisins. See, we would have had different songs on soundtrack. <laughs> I, w I was already thinking of my song of like, this like <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody type of queen. <laughs> yes. Love that. <laughs> you got to make it now. <laughs> yeah. I don't have enough time to play with Soundtrap. I'm jealous. I have my team do it. Um, I, I, a little bit of disclosure for anyone listening. Soundtrap is a client of ours. We do social media. We're really blessed to work alongside um, people like Serena, but they have a whole team of educational specialists, which is really cool to be able to collaborate with lots of educators and previous educators. So I enjoy my time with you all. And this is really great to dive in deeper. So we got into the little bit of the why, but I'm, I'm curious when you jumped in, because it was fairly recent, I, I actually assumed it was a lot longer ago, honestly, because you, <laughs> you gel with that team so well, and they just threw you out at conferences and you're there. Yep. Um, but being an educator, what were the differences when you jumped into the world of ed tech? Do you feel like there were certain things that you were unprepared for and things conversely that you're like, I can really bring something to the table because our audience are either educators trying potentially exploring making that leap, but then also higher level marketers um, and executive level ed tech folk that want to hire more educators and collaborate with them as well. So I'm sure they would both be interested to hear about your experience. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest thing is the autonomy. That's the whole difference um, that shocked me, right? So when you're a teacher, you have, you know, 9.30 to 10.30, your second period class, and, you know, you have your preps and they're all scheduled and you really don't have time to do anything. Um, you got to like rush to the bathroom, rush back. But here it's, I can kind of make my own schedule. 
if I want to have a 30 minute break um, to walk the dog, I can say, okay, like I'm not going to schedule time in this and I can schedule time the next hour. Um, and so that was kind of weird for me. Cause I'm like, I gotta go, go, go. I gotta work constantly. Um, and it still kind of feels like that. I'm like, Oh, like, I don't want to take time off cause I have to be working. Um, so that one was a big change and a big like adjustment. But I think a lot of the things that I did as a teacher, right? Like having data on all of my students. Now I have data on all my districts, right? And like, okay, how is this district doing? How is the student doing, right? It's very similar um, in that regards. But yeah, I think a lot of it's just like giving myself space to think, to learn. I mean, I don't think I have read so many articles in the last year than I have in my entire eight years of teaching, you know, Mm -hmm. like the amount of learning is just so, so deep. Yeah. And I do see your teacher self come to life because I've listened to your presentations (laughs) when you're going to conferences too. And so the way you light up on stage and talk about, and you know, you are still that teacher teaching. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There isn't a stage and I'm ready to go. I can teach to, you know, 40 kids, 300 people. It's the same kind of process, you know? So it sounds like it was somewhat of a, a seamless. I mean, I do think that, you know, your bladder and other things are probably yeah. better. Thinking me, yes. <laughs> Definitely thinking me. <laughs> um, are there any things that would have helped you more or like as an ed tech company, a lot of the times they're, they're trying to collaborate and hire educators as much as possible, but they make missteps because, you know, they just don't know. So are there some tips you'd give them? I mean, at Soundtrap, you have a team of educators as well. So it's not like you're the only one. So yeah, they know, we definitely they know how. rely. We rely on each other a lot. And like, you know, each of the ed specialists have different skills, right? So like my colleague, Jess, is she thinks very deeply about certain things. So when we have these prep meetings, she's like, okay, let's think about this, this, and this. Where I'm like, let's go, let's just make it and we'll figure it out later. Um, and so I think it's helpful to have, um, you know, that team to rely on. Um but yeah, I think, I think the hardest part is like that imposter syndrome, <laughs> you know, cause I'm like, oh, I'm just a teacher. And I said that for years, like I would call my parents and be like, I have no other marketable skills than music education, but that's not necessarily true. Right. I have obviously all of these skills that I didn't think translates to like a corporate job. Um, so I think telling, being very explicit, whether you're like the employer that like, your teacher is valuable because they are a teacher, because they have that knowledge base. They are the expert, um, more so than like anyone else who hasn't been in the classroom. Yes. And I hate that phrase, but it's in so many educators' minds is, I'm just a teacher. And I heard that so many times when I was at Edutopia, when I asked educators to blog, and it was the first time they've ever even been asked to do anything because they didn't think what they were doing was novel or innovative because their doors are closed. But I had the privilege of seeing educators across the U.S. and go, no, you are awesome. Can you please own your awesomeness? And I want to hear from you. So teachers out there, you are never just anything. Yep. You are so valuable. And in the world of ed tech, you are the most valuable uh, I don't want to call you a commodity. <laughs> that, might... that goes the other way. <laughs> yeah. But you are the most valuable person thing in their company. And really, as ed tech professionals, we should figure out ways to integrate educators in more and more. And I think Soundtrap is one of the models I've seen in companies of really using educators to 
teach and show their passion in different ways. Because when I meet people like Taylor, who also is very much into bands and trying to really inspire music educators, and he's in a band and he's super cool. And you just want to like go wherever he's going and, and lead with him in terms of Taylor. But then Audrey, she's very much into like, hey, let's talk to every teacher and let's get them excited about integrating tech or music in their curriculum. Very different approaches, both super awesome. <laughs> you probably all learn exactly. from each other. Exactly. And again, we all have those different approaches to teaching, which is really great. Great. Well, let's get into the meat of what we really wanted to talk about is social and emotional learning. And People really don't define it well. There's 10 million definitions out there. And in fact, the acronym is the same, SEL, but it could be called social hyphen emotional learning. It might be called social and emotional learning. Um, now I'm seeing social and emotional learning and well-being. There's other terms that you're seeing around, flown around, right? But like whatever it may be, do you want to go ahead and try to define it so this audience understands it in a way that we're like, oh, yeah, I get what that is. And I get what that is in school. <laughs> yeah, I'll try. <laughs> I'm I'll definitely not you. Webster's. <laughs> um, but I think, I think again, I think it expands to larger than just students. I think students, people, teachers, everyone. Um, I think SEL is a way for people to connect with others in a healthy, empathetic, and culturally responsive way. Um, and I think it encompasses all the skills that CASEL or, K or CASEL um, yeah. mentions, right? Like the empathy and the responsible decision-making and like managing and regulating your emotions. Um, so, but I did yeah. want to add the culturally responsive part because um, I know sometimes SEL is like used to boxing students into certain like white norms that end up like harming black and brown students. So I did want to add that culturally responsive part of it. Um, sometimes it's not added or included in those definitions. That's such a great point because I have never had it added and I've been really closely aligned with SEL. So social and emotional learning is one of the George Lucas educational edutopia's core concepts that they follow. And so they literally go around the country and document SEL in action across schools. And this is the first time I've actually heard culturally responsible teaching, responsive teaching and learning and just interaction with SEL. So that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Um, the, the founder of Liberate Ed, Liberate ED, mm -hmm. um, Dina Simmons actually talks about that a lot. Like, you know, sometimes it's missing in those discussions and it ends up harming certain students because, you know, we're thinking of it as the social norms, socially accepted behavior, when sometimes that's, you know, used to discredit and hurt other students. Yeah. And for those listening right now, um, all of these links. So we're talking about Castle. We're talking about Liberate Ed, which she just talked about. We'll even give some links to Soundtrap and SEL as well, all in our show notes. So at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash 13. So don't get your pen out if you're driving. Just take notes, suck in the goodness, and then we'll get you that link and you can go ahead and dive into the resources. But Castle in particular, the collaborative for ac academic, social, and emotional learning. Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Defines it just the way you do. Um, I think the key aspects of it are how do you regulate your own emotions when you're when you're young, you know? And I think that that's really powerful. But how do you resolve conflict? I've seen kindergartners when their parents get in arguments resolve conflicts. 
And they're just like these Yoda-like beings <laughs> that are like, mom, what are you feeling? <laughs> you know, like it's amazing to them to be not only aware of themselves, but aware of others and be able to resolve conflict in almost an adult-like manner. Yeah, it's incredible. I saw something on Twitter the other day where it was like, I was nervous for a meeting and my student like coached me through it or my child coached me through it. And it's like, wow, okay. And I do agree that like, we weren't taught these things. I know I struggle with managing my emotions sometimes, you know, so like, I think it's great that we are teaching students this, the next generation, so that they're going to be able to have these healthier relationships and able to navigate life easier than we are. <laughs> yeah, I think that hopefully, and not all, but at some point, most kids will have some type of access to technology and they might have some growth in that skill set, whether or not we emphasize it or not. But SEL is one of those things that if, if you don't bring it up and you don't constantly use it in the classroom, it's such a missed opportunity. And I don't think you're going to get it from other places at this point. And it's so powerful as an adult and human being. <laughs> yeah. And more so now as we are going through all these traumas and things like that, like it's so important to be trauma informed and be able to handle and go through those without you know, self-destructing essentially. Agreed. Um, let's get into a little bit of the nitty gritty. So how, so someone is an educator and they say, okay, I, I want to start implementing SEL into my classroom. Like, where do I even start? I mean, do you have any examples of like baby steps or does it always have to be district led or school led? Like, how do we start if we don't have support or we're just interested? Um, I know I that's mean, a big question. <laughs> yeah, that's, and you know, I'll say baby, baby steps, like, and you know, maybe don't quote me, but I would say just start getting to know your students. Um, I know everyone started doing it in the pandemic, doing those like check-ins, those virtual check-ins. I think doing that, you know, in person or virtually is so important just to get to know them, um, get to know your students, get to know who they are um, so that you can then address what they need when those things come up, when they need to have those, be able to teach them how to manage their emotions. Like you need to know what those emotions look like. Mm -hmm. um, so I think definitely checking in, building those relationships at the start, um, you know, day one. And I know sometimes schools are like, okay, you have to day one, you'll do building relationships. And then day two, you have to do your lessons. I say like, close your door, do your stuff, build those relationships for like a week, maybe two weeks. Um, and then start giving students the ability to go into those like five components, you know, um, there are tons of resources online that like break down each component, right? Self-regulation, self-management, um, uh, responsible decision-making, things like that. The empathy portion. So I think closing your door, <laughs> trying to, you know, do that as best you can um, is a good start. Yeah. And it is a game changer. When I was in classrooms and talking to educators at times, I would have been that educator that if a kid was acting out, I would have said, oh, that, that's my fault. It's because I'm a bad teacher or I'm not engaging enough. And it wasn't until they did those check-ins regularly, whether it be a circle where they go around and, and really get to rate how they're doing. It might be based on a color where they get to say where they're at or a number. And the kids just say, you know, I'm a three because I didn't have breakfast this morning or yeah. my my 
baby brother kept me up all night or whatever it may be. There's so many things out of the control of an educator. And even though we all know this, you can't help but take it personal when they act out sometimes. But having that foundation was a game changer. When I saw these teachers, their, their eyes are like, oh, okay, you're hungry. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know one of my friends, she did one of those online check-ins, but she tailored it to what the students were like watching. So she had like a Mandalorian one with Baby Yoda and like pick your, what Baby Yoda image you are. Um, so I did that with my students. They were obsessed with My Hero Academia. It's like an anime show. And I, I watched the whole season. Like we would talk about it every day. So I did one of those check-ins. And again, they it helped because they were like, oh, she's listening to us. And she's like consuming the media we're consuming. And also I feel now I trust her enough to say, okay, like it's the anniversary of my grandma's death, right? Like mm -hmm. they're able to share those because they trust you now, you know? So like getting to know them, checking in as much as you can um, so that you do build that rapport. And so then you could say, you could be that trusted person when they are having those emotions. They're not gonna kind of lash out at you. They'll be like, hey, can we chat? Can we talk? Um, but I mean, I was not great at it either. Like I was still learning and trying to get better right up until I left. Um, you know, I think it's a daily struggle and practice that everyone has to kind of work on. Yeah. And I think when we talk about the power of an educator, you know, we're always learning academically and, you know, most of the time we're not going to know everything the kids know. And in fact, you know, that's when we transfer from being like this sage on a stage to like that guide on a side where we have them figure out things that we might not know. But with social emotional learning, it's something where you can connect with them and they remember that you care. Yeah. And that you believed in them and that you cared. And for me, that's my best educators in my life. And what kept me going is that, oh, they care. They've taken the time to get to know me. And they, they reach out when they think I'm struggling. And exactly. that's the foundation of SEL. Um, and giving you that power to, to figure it out yourself at times. Yep. Absolutely. I think it's so important. Awesome. Well, when we think about Soundtrap in particular, because I know that, you know, what you are in every day is really working with educators with this specific tool. And I know that you are very part, like passionate about social emotional learning. Do you want to give some examples about maybe how educators are using that tool? So it might spark some ideas from other educators that are a little bit tech savvy. They're like, oh, I can do it with that tool too. Definitely. Yeah. So I think one of my favorite like first day activities, like I mentioned, um, we have this lesson, Say My Name. And I know my colleague Audrey's done this with really young kids. It's super cute. Um, you have students, you have the Soundtrap project, and you have students record their voice saying and pronouncing their name. Right. I think names are so important saying them right. I know that's why you asked me earlier, like how to pronounce my last name. Um, so yeah, having that, again, it's getting students to realize like, oh, they care. They care about even how I say my name. Um, and so students would record their name and any other information like nicknames, pronouns, if they feel like it. Um, and then it's just like one at a time. And so that way, again, if you have like a substitute later on in the year or just to practice yourself, practicing the names as the students say it um, is really a cool lesson to start. Um, and then another one that I really like, and I've done this with teachers, and I think it's really fun, is our empathy interviews. And what this is, is you have an empathy interview, kind of like this one where you just talk, you get to learn about someone, um, how they're doing, how they're feeling, what they're interested in. 
the things that they love, their hobbies, what they're passionate about. And then at the end, you go into Soundtrap and you record them a song or a story that will bring them joy. And then you give it to the other person. So again, now not only building that trust between teacher and student, but student to student, right? So cool. That's so cool. Because yeah. I do a lot of design thinking and it's very much about, I don't care about myself. I want to know what's going to give you joy and whether, whether we're designing a product or a service, it's all about thinking about you and then redesigning, redesigning, but you're creating a song or a podcast or whatever and giving them joy. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. And it's fun to see. I mean, you know, I've done this with teachers and I know that some teachers have brought it back to their students and to see some of the students just like talking to each other and then creating it's they, and they want to give joy to another person. Like kids are, students are like filled with love and joy and they want to share that. And so I think it's really cool to have them do that. And music and the power of voice. I just, mm-hmm. you cannot not have a straight face and you're like, here's my song. I hope it gives you joy. No, it's like, you can't help but like move and laugh with it. And it's, it's magical what music could do. And even just the power of your own voice. When you talked about the kids saying their own name, mm-hmm. when I first listened to a podcast, actually Meredith was on your, your boss. That's the head of engagement. I think it's uh, on customer top. happiness. Wow. Great title. Yeah, right. Great title. <laughs> um, so Meredith was on a podcast and she talked about her child and the first time they heard their voice and it just lit up because we all take that for granted. But when they hear their own voice, they're like, that's me. And I see it with my niece now who's three. I have her do yeah. those little Apple um, ephemeral messages that are like mm-hmm. the audio and she just loves doing it and she cannot get enough of it because she loves hearing her own voice. And I think there's something to getting kids used to and loving their voice in the beginning, because when you get our age, we hate our voices because we didn't do it, right? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But they're so simple, those things. Um, I'm looking here at the portal um, at Soundtrap, and there's some other really cool activities like uh, 478 breathing. Yep. That one's a good one. That one's great. I, I definitely... I use that like when I'm trying to go to sleep and stuff um, and like chill out from the end of the day. Um, So what we do in that one, because Soundtrap has, we have a time ruler at the top. So you, it has like by seconds, you can see, you know, four seconds. And then after that, seven seconds later and eight. So what we do is like take loops from our loop library and drag them in and make like really cool, calming loops. um, One for four seconds, one for seven, one for eight. And then you, take the cycle bar at the top and repeat it over and over again. So students breathe in for the first loop, hold it for seven seconds while they're listening to the second, and then breathe out for the last eight seconds. And then just repeat that over and over again. And that helps to regulate thinking about that like parasympathetic nervous system. Like that's a great way, like a great strategy for them. Yeah. One of the education brands I used to work closely with is education.com. And they work with a lot of parents and parents directly to the children and doing activities. But one of the most popular activities was a calm bottle. (laughs) And you'd make this like just a water bottle with like glitter and all sorts of fun stuff inside. But the idea is, is you would flip it over. And by the time everything settled to the bottom, they had to watch it and then take deep breaths. So it kind of reminded me a little bit about that of there's different ways you can, 
you know, you don't necessarily need to use Soundtrap and all of these things, but are there ways that you can incorporate either technology or activities just to get kids aware of their breathing and deep breathing? Exactly. That, that parasympathetic nervous system, right? Like after that fight or flight, how do you bring it back down? Right. How do you calm yourself? Um, Cause that's a struggle, you know, for lots of people. Um, I literally during the pandemic bought a lava lamp for that same reason. Just turn it on and just watch and breathe and and play music with it. Like so helpful. I know that's like way old school, but I loved it. Non-tech, but kind of tech. That's awesome. You're like, I just want to watch my lava lamp. <laughs> Leave me alone, everyone. Exactly. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Um, so we will share all these links around the 478 breathing. We talked about the empathy interviews for creating joy, which I love. Um, the same I name for the kids. Are there any of the other ones you'd like to talk about that you think that this audience might find helpful? Yeah. So there's two I'd love to chat about still. Um, the what's in your news, I think is really great. So that's adapted from an educator, Sarah Ahmed. Um, essentially it's just reflection questions during hard moments in students' lives. So when things happen in the news um, that are traumatic, that are stressful, that incite emotions, um, how can students reflect? And I think the questions that it offers, what's happening in your news, how does it make you feel? And then also how does, um, based on what your identity is, how does that make you feel, right? Um, And then what actions can I do later? So I think that's a really great one. Again, there's gonna be stuff that happens, whether it's, you know, extra storms, fires, um, you know, insurrections. That's when we made the lesson Um, (laughs) because we're like, we need a space for students to process everything that's happening. A global pandemic, perhaps. Um, There's just so much healing that needs to be done. And sometimes we need to process that. And sometimes talking through it helps more than like writing in a journal. Um, So that one I think was a really, really helpful one. And then the other one, oh, go ahead. I was just going to add that things like that, when you add the power of even podcasting or storytelling to it, the idea of having an audience for kids in particular and students is is powerful. And that's what I always loved about project-based learning, that element of let's make sure it's real life and practical in the real world. And let's make sure that there's other people listening and they can give feedback. And that's yeah. a big deal. And how do you receive feedback? And then the digital citizenship lessons around that are, are huge. But exactly. the what idea that they're doing matters and relates to the real world. Because, you know, how many times as an educator did you hear like, why do we even need to learn this? Do people even use this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that question. But yeah. Maybe. Every lesson I wrote, like, why are we doing this? And like every lesson I'd give to students, there's always like a, why did we do this? Why is this important? Yeah, Cause they definitely need to know. And so like being able to process and share your thoughts around what's happening in the world is like a very easy why. <laughs> yeah. And the, the podcasting component too, we share a lot on Soundtrap's Twitter account about just really cool, innovative student podcasts that you wouldn't even imagine what they're doing. And if that can inspire your kids and maybe potentially link subjects together, you wouldn't think, link to it's 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 inspiring so i just wanted to bring that up before we move on to another cool activity (laughs) yeah so the last one i wanted to share was our allies for justice um which my colleague justin created and he adapted it from um learning for justice's lesson where you learn about how to be an ally um, to marginalized communities and i think that's so important specifically um that was tied to um the worker unions in California, but obviously it could apply to everything. So giving students a space to think about how can I be a better ally 
um, to my community, I think is really helpful. Um, and again, it's kind of similar to the idea that social emotional learning also needs to be culturally responsive. Um, so I think that lesson is really powerful and I think really important. Yeah, that's awesome. I have, that wasn't on my radar at all. I know, but Justin. Does yeah, that's a recent one. Up. Okay, so. great. We'll make sure that it's up there and linked too. Um, I guess finishing up social and emotional learning, is there any kind of parting thoughts you'd like to give educators that are still thinking about it, but on the fence, but they're in a pandemic still and they need to prioritize things? Um, how do they, what's advice that you give them to like maybe give them that push to get started or even just try something new right now in the midst of all the craziness going on and everything they're, they're faced with? Yeah, I can speak for myself at least. I wish I had done it day one since I started teaching seven years ago. I wish I had known immediately, you know, and I'm lucky that I taught music and that I could connect with students in a different way. But if I had been able to teach them those valuable skills from day one, it would have been game changing for me as an educator and for my students. Um, so I just think it, I think it's really helpful for everyone <laughs> um, to do it like as soon as possible, because <laughs> it. I think it's one of those like incremental when you start it, start slow, but it can have such a larger impact in the long term for students. Yeah. And when you say that it, it really affects everything, right? So if you start building this foundation through SEL in your classroom, it makes everything easier. You uh, you don't have engagement problems or outbursts as much. I mean, not to say it's going to be the silver bullet. It takes time and incremental, but it's that kind of like oil that kind of helps, I don't know, lubricate or I don't know the good metaphor, but it really helps everything go more smoothly. Yeah. I think it helps the students feel better and try and like navigate life easier. And that I think is kind of why we do this, right? It's not to teach, you know, our subjects, it's to make students feel better and go through their life happier and better. Yeah, and it's not just for the students. I see educators yeah. using SEL within faculty meetings to collaborate. And then even when you use SEL techniques in your classroom, the benefit isn't just for the student. Like oh, yeah. you have that beaming of it brings you back to that why and that connection as well. Right. Oh yeah. I would breathe along with my students whenever we did like during testing, we'd always do meditation. And I was like, I'm going to do this with you. <laughs> and it's so helpful because again, test teaching is a stressful job. And we also have those moments of fight or flight and stress and trauma. Um, and so I think it's helpful for teachers as well. Yeah. And, and we people. were, talking right before we started about just the latest research in SEL. And for those of you that don't get um, Edutopia's research e-newsletter, it's great. I mean, they're not paying me to say this. I used to work there, but I, I just think it's, I think it comes every two weeks in your email inbox. But one of the first things was a social and emotional learning study. And they talked about how regardless of if you're a parent, a teacher, an admin, if you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, who, whatever you are, there is widespread public approval of saying, yes, we all need more SEL in the schools. And it's never been like that. And so we're all recognizing we need something with teacher burnout in particular, student engagement really hard with all the hybrid, the Zooms, the blah, is how do we all start connecting more? Yep. Agreed. It's so, so helpful. And I love that everyone is kind of on board and thinking about our students and what they need. 
Yeah. So what we'll do in the show notes is provide you a whole list of organizations you can go to for social and emotional learning because we gave you some great activities. But if you are just excited about this concept, we can give you all of the things, all of the research, but all of the activities will be in the show notes as well. And Serena, I'll, I'll link up with you to see if there's any other organizations that are not on my radar. But there's so many great things. And I think my last piece of advice for educators is don't make this like what they call a binder on a shelf that you bring out once a year. And especially in SEL, they used to do that where you have literally have a binder and you're like, okay, kids, we're going to do SEL. Yeah, wellness week. <laughs> <laughs> is find little ways to incorporate it if, at least once a week. And you and your kids will be beaming with joy of like, yes, we care about each other. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, awesome. Um, I think we're going to switch gears really quickly. And then I'll let you go because I know you are super busy training educators. <laughs> but I'd like to talk to our audience that aren't educators. Usually we mostly have non-educators on the show and I have to say, hey, don't remember the educators, but educators, you're getting a lot of stuff you can use in the classroom. But when we think about ed tech folk and they're listening, um, as an educator and also now you're in the world of ed tech and get to work with educators, I'd love just a quick piece of advice of, you know, what do you think ed tech companies should do more of when they're talking to educators and potentially like maybe there's some things that they should avoid. I think we're always trying to strive for authentic connection with educators, but there's so many things in the world of ed tech to get in the way. We have pressure for sales. We have got, you know, all sorts of things where we want to make sure that they know our product and it's all about our product because we love our product and we get in our heads. But what would you give some advice around ed tech companies that are just trying to reach out to educators and tell them that they've got this great product or service? Um, that's a great question. And I'm actually going to say, do nothing and just listen. I, I know that's like tough because you, again, want to share. And I'm guilty of it now too. I'm like, sound trap, sound trap, sound trap. But I think the most helpful thing is like following those educator voices, listening to what they have to say, listening what they have, what they need, um, and then trying to see where your product could fit in. Um, you know, I think that's, there's such an incredible community of educators on TikTok, on in Twitter, on Instagram, everywhere, Pinterest even, um, where teachers are sharing their expertise, their knowledge. They're also say, asking questions. What, what do I need? What can I do? How do I do this? Um, and so I think listening and trying to tap into that community as best as possible and then share your product, um, I think would be really helpful. That's so that's such, my advice. Such great advice. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I always talk about providing value as much as possible to educators. Like let them figure out what they need. And if you can provide value, great. But yeah. say you have a product that actually doesn't, you know, their their biggest challenge is school scheduling and your soundtrack. You're like, well, can't help you there, right? Yeah. But you also are part of a community of educators and you're like, you know, so-and-so over here does this really cool thing with their master schedule. Why don't you connect with them? So provide value and listen as much as possible because, you know, I'm big on always creating content as well to go along with your product and talk about the things you're passionate about. It's never really about your product. You can also be a great connector and still provide yeah. value because we're all in this together. I think sometimes we just get really caught up as ed tech people and say, okay, how do we get the word out? How do we raise brand awareness? How do we raise engagement with our product? It's like, it's 
not about us sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's the teachers and their students. And I think they, they have a good voice and they know what they need. Yeah. And listening is all about going slow and you need to go slow to, I mean, eventually go fast, I guess, yep. but just go slow because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. So we always ask all of our guests one thing, and I think in particular, it's really pertinent because burnout is high. Every day is hard. Even if you and I, we love our, what we do, um, we have purpose, we're in a mission-driven company, but it's hard every day still. H how do you keep inspired? Are there things that you do physically or read or are there things that you're just like, yes, I got to listen to this music to get in and get a little pep in my step or th some things you can share with our audience that might be struggling? I mean, I got the new Peloton. I got a Peloton bike and I've been obsessed with it. Awesome. Like, and I'm not normally like a person who like goes to the gym. Um, I used to run pre-pandemic, but this has been so helpful. Um, and I think it's fun. And I mean, as an educator, I, I really like seeing the instructors and like their, their vibe, their style. Um, it kind of does two for one, right? Like I'm exercising, but I'm also like learning and trying to like see how they engage with their audience. The other day, one of the instructors high-fived me in the middle of a different class. I'm like, holy crap, that's so cool. Um, I, I should be doing that. Like, how do we do that here? Um, but yeah, I'm obsessed with the Peloton right now. <laughs> that's awesome. Do you have any favorite instructors or music or things that, you know, you like the type of classes you go towards? I definitely, my favorite instructor is Robin Arzone. She's just like, has that she gives me like so much good advice. She's like, you know, if people don't like when you're making waves, make them swim. And I'm like, oh, yes, Robin. <laughs> and I just love like her vibe. Um, I think she's I probably, love that like, quote. <laughs> yeah, right. And she always plays lots of Beyonce, which like is my jam. So <laughs> I, I love that, you know, as an educator, you're always looking towards other people that are doing things in innovative ways, too. And then you get the pleasure of teaching other teachers and go, all right, well, have you tried this? And that's cool. And I never thought of the Peloton that way. But yep. <laughs> I'm staring at my Peloton right now going, I need to get on this more. <laughs> Um, anything else you want to mention? Anything you're reading or doing or? Um, I mean, take a look at some of our Soundtrap stuff. You know, I think we have some cool things happening soon. Um, I know Taylor is doing our Soundtrap anthem for some of our music folks. Um, but we also have like some cool Spotify podcasts with mm. Michael Lipset, which is super cool. I definitely recommend those. But yeah, I'm just learning and listening to all the teachers and trying to send love and space to them because it's a tough, tough time. Yeah, that's so important. And the way you worded it around just listening is so perfect. And I, I want to reiterate that over and over again <laughs> to everybody um, as educators and people in the ed tech mm -hmm. world. So uh, lastly, Serena, how can people get in touch with you? Are there, um, we'll share all the resources that you talked about in our show notes, but are, are there ways that people can get in touch with you and collaborate with you? Yeah. Uh, so I talk a lot about education on my Twitter. Um, it's at Serena F.R. Dewey, um, my married name. Uh, and then, of course, anyone can like contact me by emailing me, Serena at Soundtrap.com. It's super easy because it's got alliteration in it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's pretty much 
where you, you can contact me and I'm always and you'll available. see her at most of the education conferences as well. Seriously, I'm traveling <laughs> a lot this year. Well, I can't wait to meet you in person. Hopefully we yes. can meet each other at ISTE or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and get some beignets. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. I know how busy you are. Thank you for spending time with me today and sharing your passion with us, especially as something as important as SEL. And I think, I know we didn't talk about your career trajectory, but I am lucky enough to work with someone that you know, Porter Palmer, that has a title called Director of Joy. And I could see in your future something <laughs> like that, a nice title that really just resembles all of like the, the passion you bring. That does sound good, Director of Joy. <laughs> I know. After I introduced myself to her, everyone's like, that's a good title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, everyone else. Um, thank you for listening. You can access this episode's show notes at, again, leoniconsultinggroup.com. That's two Gs, consultinggroup.com backslash 13. So all of the resources, the templates, the lesson plans will be there. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you so much. And we will see you all next time on All Things Marketing and Education. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit leoniconsultinggroup.com backslash podcasts for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends, so please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.